This episode is brought to you by GSK. No two cancers are the same. That's why at GSK, our oncology scientists are working on personalized treatments. One way we design these new medicines is by harnessing a patient's own immune system to target and destroy tumors. And by creating new combinations of medicines that work better together, we hope to transform cancer treatment for patients in the future. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. Boy, did they matter to us once back when we thought that they could wipe us out and that they actually had a plan in place to do that. The Russians, I mean, or the Soviets as they were known then. Some part of each day back when they were a superpower, each one of us had to give some thought to what might happen if the men in Moscow really got mad. And then suddenly it was over, the Cold War. Both sides cut up a lot of missiles. We were the one superpower left. The Russians, well, they seemed to matter less. But now they are certainly back in it and in all sorts of ways in different parts of the world, which says what about how much the men in Moscow matter now and how much do we actually need to worry about it? Well, that sounds like the makings for debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement. Russia is a marginal power. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two against two, here at the Kaufman Music Center in New York. They will argue for and against the motion, Russia is a marginal power. Our debate goes in three rounds, and then, as always, the audience votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Let's meet the team arguing for the motion. First, please, let's welcome Ian Bremmer. And Ian, uh, you started early. You traveled through the Soviet Union when you were 16 years old. You then edited a book on Soviet nationalities when you were 22 years old. When you were 28 years old, you founded the Eurasia Group, a political risk consultancy. So a lot of precociousness going on there. And in 2013, you wrote up a list of the world's most powerful people. You gave the number one spot to nobody, but you gave the number two spot to Vladimir Putin, which the Russian state-controlled media got very, very excited about and took as a compliment. Did they get the message right? Not entirely. What? <laughs> the point being? Uh, the point being that Putin has become extraordinarily powerful at the expense of the Russian people and at the expense of the Russian nation. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Bremmer. And Ian, who is your partner tonight? Uh, my partner is the inexplicably charismatic Edward Lucas. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Edward Lucas. Ed Lucas, you're also arguing that Russia is a marginal power. Your books include Deception and the New Cold War, in which you argue that Russia under Vladimir Putin is a danger to itself and to others. You're also senior editor at The Economist, where you served as Moscow bureau chief from 1998 to 2002, which puts you in Russia really at about the time that Putin essentially came out of nowhere. We didn't know much about him back then, but you had a bad feeling early on. Yes, there was a, a, a clue in the three letters in his uh, resume which went KGB, and I'd had plenty of experience of them, and I didn't, I didn't like that. It's a dead giveaway. Ladies and gentlemen, Ed Lucas. Our motion is Russia is a marginal power. Two debaters arguing it ag- against it. First, let's please welcome Robert Blackwell. 
Bob Blackwell, you are a former, former Deputy National Security Advisor for President George W. Bush. You also served President George H.W. Bush as a Special Assistant for European and Soviet Affairs from 1989 to 1990. So you were in that Bush White House just at the time that Soviet power collapsed. And it's been said that basically it all happened so fast at the time that nobody in the White House saw it coming until pretty much just before it went down. Is, is that an accurate picture of it? Yes, more or less. Uh, we weren't able to project the crisis and what would happen day by day, not least because the leaders in Moscow weren't able to project the crisis and what would happen day by day. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert, Robert Blackwell. And Bob, your partner is? Peter Hitchens, well-known columnist, author, spent a lot of time thinking about and living in Russia And I commend to you his uh, columns in the Sunday Mail. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Hitchens. I just want to point out, you spent two and a half years uh, living in the Soviet Union. Um, And rather controversially, you have written that you actually like Vladimir Putin, and at the same time you call him a sinister tyrant. So how does that work? Oh, I think think sometimes countries need sinister tyrants. And Russia is a country that needs a sinister tyrant now, having been through the dreadful debauchery and rape of the Yeltsin era, which we imposed upon it. And I think many, many Russians who love their country feel that way, and they've always preferred to be feared than pitied. Thank you, Peter Hitchens. On to round one. Round one, opening statements from each debater in turn. Our motion is Russia is a marginal power, and here to speak from the lectern first in support of this motion, Edward Lucas. He is a senior editor at The Economist, where he has covered the Central and East European region for over 25 years, including time spent as The Economist's Moscow bureau chief. He is the author of The Snowden Operation. Ladies and gentlemen, Edward Lucas. Of course, Russia matters. It can't not matter. It's the largest country in the world by landmass. It's a $2 trillion economy. And it's a superpower, not only a nuclear superpower, but a cultural, scientific, and linguistic one. The question is, how does it use that great potential? And it's my contention that Russia squanders its potential under the rule of Vladimir Putin. What has Russia got now to contribute to the great problems that are facing us? What does Russia have in the way of a constructive, original solution on the law of the sea, space, climate change, internet freedom, development, reforming world finance, or on security? What does it have to say about the Middle East, about how East Asia should cope with a rising China? I just ask my opponents if they can think of one constructive, original contribution that Russia has made to these questions. Because it's very easy to know what Russia's against, Russia's against the EU. It's against NATO. It's against multilateral organisations in general. It's against the West. So we know what Russia's against, but we don't know what Russia's for. Now, you may say, well, what Russia is for is sovereignty. It believes in the principle of non-intervention. And that's why it stands by and blocks sanctions against any sanctions against Syria that might have some effect on the terrible conflict there. Now, I believe... In principle, the intervention is sometimes right. I think we should have intervened in Rwanda, for example, to stop the genocide. But I think there's a high bar. You have to produce some evidence if you're going to intervene. But Russia hasn't done that in Ukraine. Russia hasn't produced any evidence at all. It asserts things, but it hasn't invoked international human rights organizations. It hasn't 
try to negotiate with the Ukrainian government, its intervention in Ukraine is decried by the very people it aims to help. So he doesn't produce evidence, he doesn't produce arguments, he doesn't like engaging with the mainstream of the way that the world works because he knows those arguments are phony, the evidence is empty and his chances are slim. Russia is a marginal power and it's marginalised itself. It's not the West. We showered Yeltsin's Russia with money. Most of it's stolen and wasted, but we tried. We brought Russia into the G8 We set up the NATO-Russia Council. We brought Russia into the European security architecture, the Council of Europe, the OSC, all these organisations. And it hasn't worked because Russia doesn't want to be in the mainstream. Russia doesn't like having responsibilities. It doesn't like having rules. It doesn't like respecting other countries' rights. It likes doing things its own way. The Putin years have been 14 years of terrible missed opportunity. It's It's been a catastrophe. We should not approach this debate in some kind of tone of sneering triumphalism. It's a tragedy. We need Russia to be playing a role in the mainstream of world politics, in the mainstream of world affairs. And it's not happening. One day, maybe it will. But for the time being, ladies and gentlemen, Russia is a marginal power. Thank you, Edward Lucas. And that is our motion. Russia is a marginal power. And now here to argue against this motion, I'd like to bring to the lectern Peter Hitchens. He is a columnist and reporter for the Mail on Sunday and a former resident correspondent for the Daily Express in Moscow and in Washington, D.C. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Hitchens. Edward and I hugely enjoyed the Cold War. Uh, I enjoyed it particularly as, a, as, a, <laughs> as an ex-Trotskyist. I loathe the Soviet regime from that point of view and then later on as a fervent Cold Warrior and a genuine believer in the truth that the Soviet Union was an evil empire. It was an evil empire. There's no question about it. And anybody who doubts it should have seen what I saw. But if we'd like to get a party together to go and put the Berlin Wall up again tonight, I'll be the head of it, uh, because it was, in many ways, extremely enjoyable for journalists and a wonderful moment in which we all knew which side we were on. The problem about enjoying the Cold War as much as we did as a pleasure is that we forget that we ought to look upon it in one or two other rather important ways. There was a very, very important moment in the early years of Mikhail Gorbachev when he was dismantling the Soviet Union, when he came under attack from a group of American conservative journalists who kept on saying, we don't believe this, we don't believe that you're doing to the Soviet Union what we say that you are. And he just sat there smiling silkily as he did. And eventually he said, gentlemen, I'm terribly sorry. We have done to you the worst thing the most unkind thing we could possibly have done to anybody, we have deprived you of an enemy. And this was what happened in 1991. We were deprived of an enemy. So we have the Communist Party gone, and we have the world power gone, and then we have this extraordinary era in which, I'm afraid, Edward has been a little bit, uh, how should I say, kind to the West, in which we, we said to the Russians that we must now have in Russia democracy, And we must now have capitalism, and we indeed showered them with money and stupid advice, paying very little attention to what that country really needed, which was the rule of law and liberty. And that whole era is now known to most Russians who lived through it. They refer to it, you'll know the Russian for democracy is demokratia. They refer to it as dermokratia, which I will translate politely as the rule of excrement. That is the view of most Russians of what they went through. 
Now what they want is actually to be left alone to be Russia, a country which will exist whatever you do to it. You might as well try and remove the Himalayas with a teaspoon as remove Russia from the international diplomatic or military or economic landscape. It simply is not going to go away. And to pretend that it will and to impose on it Carthaginian treaties when its territory is taken away and it's pushed up to the same borders imposed on it by Kaiser Wilhelm in 1918 is not going to work. I'll end with a very simple point here. Here we are in a country which has the Pacific Ocean on one side, the Atlantic Ocean on the other, Mexico at the bottom, and Canada at the top. And just imagine for a moment that you didn't have that. You had Germany on one side and China on the other and Japan breathing down their neck. You might be less concerned with fanciful global ideas of wonderful global international cooperation, and you might be more concerned with the simple straightforward issue of whether you could survive defensibly as a country, a society, an economy, and a culture, you would be closer to the truth than you are here in this extraordinary, wonderfully protected paradise. Ladies and gentlemen, Russia is not a marginal power. Please do vote against this motion. It is a very foolish motion indeed. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Stay with us. Hello, I'm John Donvan, moderator of Intelligence Squared U.S. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. And here's a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two against two, arguing it out over this motion, Russia is a marginal power. You've heard the first two opening statements and now on to a third. Debating in support of this motion that Russia is a marginal power, Ian Bremmer will now go to the lectern. He is founder and president of the global political risk research and consulting firm, the Eurasia Group, and author of Every Nation for Itself, Winners and Losers in a G-Zero World. Ladies and gentlemen, Ian Bremmer. What we're debating is that Russia is not a great power, it's a marginal power. I decided to look something up in the dictionary before I got here. Marginal, what's the definition of marginal? It was not of central importance, limited in extent, significance, or stature. I look at global politics today. I look at the economy. Russia is not a great power. It is a marginal power, and it's becoming more marginal by the day. Look, it is a big country. They don't have many people on it. It's a big country, right? I mean... Palin can see him from her house. (laughs) You know, Putin can see Alaska from his house. Alaska doesn't have much sway in the bottom 48, right? It's big. They've got a lot of resources. They don't have many people, right? We're not excited about Alaska. I apologize if you're from Alaska, but we don't care. Um, uh, The the problem is what's Russia doing with all of that land? What are they doing with all of that potential? I'll tell you what they're not doing is fixing their economy. There have been a lot of companies out there that have thought about investing big in Russia. IKEA used to make more money per square meter in Russia than anywhere else in the world in the early 90s. They've pulled back. Why? Because folks came in and they said, oh, you've got environmental problems under your parking lot. There's a gas line. You're going to have to pay us an awful lot. We won't do that. Oh, I guess we'll shut down IKEA for a bit. Walmart thought about it for four years, decided not to invest. They're all over China. That's not an easy place to invest. They're not in Russia. Toyota, $28 million in St. Petersburg because the Russians desperately wanted them. They said, we'll test it out, and if it goes well a few years later, we'll make Russia the base of manufacturing for the entire Eurasia region. 
Have they expanded? Absolutely not. Everything walked out the door. Geopolitics. Here, let me, let me go back to, um, you know, Tajikistan, Armenia, Belarus. That is not a portfolio you want. Snowden. The Chinese handled Snowden well. They said, let's get him. Let's bring him over. We'll grab all of his stuff. We'll learn some stuff about how the Americans are spying on us. And then we'll send them somewhere. And Russia said, me, me, me. Let's have them. And the Russians grab them. They said, we'll take all the stuff and then we'll send them to Cuba. Oh, we didn't think that through very well. Again, feather in Putin's cap. It's great. He can swan around. Feather in Putin's camp, $51 billion on Sochi. How did that do for the average Russian? How's that done for Russia in the world? Ukraine. Ukraine is the most important, the most important national security interest that Russia has outside of their country. The average Russian believes that Ukraine's been a part of it for 300 years. Yanukovych wanted aid from the Americans and Europeans so that he could balance the Russians off against the Europeans. And we said, sorry, not it. And so then Putin said, I'll write you a check for $15 billion out of our pension fund. And you know what? The Ukrainian people said, we don't care. We don't want the money. We'll demonstrate. We'll die in the streets rather than have to live under that. That's Ukraine. These are the people, they speak Russian and Ukrainian together. So they'll have Crimea. They will take Crimea. We told them, red line. We told lots of, we told the Syrians red line. They stepped over it. Does that mean that they are a great power? It does not. Are the Russians a great power? They are not. There's no question in my mind that if we look at the future of Russia geopolitically, geoeconomically, demographically, this is not a great power. We all wish it were. It would be better for them. It would be better for the world. But it's not, and I think you should vote as a consequence with us and for the motion. Thank you. Thank you, Ian Bremmer. And the motion is Russia is a marginal power. And now... Our final debater against the motion in opening statements, Robert Blackwell. He is the Henry A. Kissinger Senior Fellow for U.S. Foreign Policy at the Council on Foreign Relations and former Deputy National Security Advisor under President George W. Bush. Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Blackwell. Good evening. Skillful debaters, when they have a weak case to make, change the subject. So let's remember what the subject is. It is not... Is Russia a responsible member of the international community? No, it's not. It isn't, would you vote Vladimir Putin to be your church deacon? The answer is no. And finally, it is not, is Russia a great power? That is not the subject of this debate. The subject of this debate is, is Russia a marginal power? This means a country with very little impact on the international system and very little consequence for the United States. So I'm going to quickly go through why I believe that's deeply mistaken. So first, Russia today is the only country on Mother Earth that can destroy the United States as we know it in 30 minutes. It has 1,500 nuclear weapons on hair trigger aimed at America's cities. It has 10,000 nuclear weapons. Second, the United States and Russia possess 95% of all nuclear weapons on the planet. And let me just quote one of my favorite senators, if not my favorite senator, Dianne Feinstein. We have a chance to wind down and expedite the removal of 96% of the world's nuclear weapons. 
what an achievement it would be. We could say that the nuclear arsenals of both Russia and the United States have been reduced to the barest minimums. That cannot be done without Moscow, and it's hardly the uh, uh, example of a marginal country. Third, uh, Russia today is a vital lifeline for the 40,000 American troops that remain in Afghanistan. We could not supply our courageous men and women in Afghanistan without the so-called northern route through Russia. The UN Security Council, Russia is a permanent member, and if you care about international law, and if you care about the United States acting abroad, in the context of international law, that is to say through Security Council resolutions, that cannot happen unless Russia supports that. Of course, as has been mentioned, Russia is the largest country in the world, an eighth of the Earth's surface in this extraordinary country. It is the ninth most populous country in the world. It's not a small uh, country, 150 million people or so. If Russia is a marginal power, What's a non-marginal power? Woody Allen once bragged that he'd taken a 20-minute speed reading course and he'd read War and Peace in 20 minutes. And somebody asked him what it was about, and he says it was about Russia. (laughs) I think that our colleagues debating for this motion have taken a strategic speed reading course to come to the conclusion that Russia is a marginal power. Thank you. Thank you, Robert Blackwell. And that concludes opening statements in this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is Russia is a marginal power. Now we move on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another directly and they take questions from me and from you in in our audience here in New York City. We have two teams of two arguing for and against the motion Russia is a marginal power. What I find interesting in what we've heard in the opening statement so far, and this rarely happens in our debates, is that the two sides actually, I think, agree on the basic facts about what is happening in Russia, that it it was a powerful nation, uh, less powerful now, uh, that it is led by a sinister tyrant, that its economy is a bit of a mess. Nobody's disagreeing about that. What they're disagreeing about is what these things imply. So I think what we need to do is go through some of the issues that came up and talk about what they imply. Let's start with the most obvious and take on this issue of nuclear capability that Russia still possesses, which your opponents say all by itself makes, makes it impossible to call Russia a marginal power. Let's take that to Ed Lucas. Well, it's, it's there in the sense that if um, Putin goes mad or even madder, yes, he can do a Dr. Strangelove and he, could, he, can, he can blow the world up. And that is, that is indeed, indeed something to worry about. But I think you have to ask, how does he use that power? How does he take that power and put Russia at the centre of world affairs? Is he helping, for example, um, to deal with non-proliferation? That would be a really good thing for a nuclear superpower to do, to make, try and make sure we deal with nuclear proliferation in the Middle East, maybe put pressure on North Korea so that they don't develop their nuclear weapon. That's what a responsible, what a mainstream nuclear power would do. Russia's not involved in that. On the, on the contrary, it's actually constantly threatening to sell advanced air defence systems um, to Iran, which would give the Iranians more time and more protection for their, for their nuclear programme. They've certainly played no role in helping to okay. um, do, deal with North Korea. Let's take some of what you just said back to Robert Blackwell, where we hear Edward Lucas again arguing on this issue of what's marginality, what pushes Russia from the centre of the game. And he's saying the weapons are irrelevant, it's how they use them. 
Well, first of all, um, Russia is modernizing all three legs of its strategic deterrent, its delivery system. So those are facts. Second, Russia is involved in the North Korean diplomacy. And third, Russia has not delivered advanced uh, air defense systems to Iran. So all three of those facts are wrong. Um, With respect to nuclear weapons, the question again, just to remind ourselves, is not, is Russia a responsible power? It's rather, how important a power is it? And the nuclear weapons make it of consequence to the United States. Ian Bremer, so take that point that your side made, that in a sense the responsibility of, of, a, of a nation defines its, its greatness, its centrality, or its marginality in, the, in its absence. Uh, t- take that point about why you're, to some degree, hinging your argument on whether Russia is a, is a grown-up, mature player in the game. I think our argument has a lot to do with whether or not its power is relevant and usable in the world today. I mean, Russia is a nuclear superpower. It's also a sugar beet superpower. Uh, Borscht would be unmakeable in this country (laughs) were it not for Russia. Um, The the fact is we're not very concerned about their nukes. For the last 10-plus years, we've been most concerned about the war on terror. And just last year, finally, we said, well, you know, we've we've dealt with al-Qaeda, at least in terms of the United States, but now we're much more concerned about cyber as the principal concern for the United States. And, of course, in terms of cyber attacks, the Russians have a lot of criminals, but in terms of the potential of a government to engage in cyber attacks against the U.S., that is head and shoulders, neck, body, uh, it's China. So, yes, uh, we're not going to deny the fact that Russia has 10,000 nuclear warheads. What we are going to say is that alone doesn't actually cut it on the world stage today. We're certainly not acting as if it cuts it. We don't, our, our strategic planning and our prioritization and policy is not as if that is the, the principal thing that we are losing sleep over on a daily basis. Well, perhaps I'm eccentric, but I can tell the difference between a nuclear weapon and a sugar beet. And as for cyber, the morning New York Times reports that there are major cyber attacks emanating from Russia against Ukraine. So to dismiss Russia's impact on the future of Ukraine as if it were not perhaps even the most important actor outside Ukraine on the future of Ukraine seems to me quite myopic. Ian Bremer. I cede to the ambassador that a nuclear weapon is not a sugar beet. Look, the question is not do nukes matter. The question is how important do we actually estimate Russia's capabilities broadly. For since the Cold War is over, Gallup has taken a poll of all Americans asking open-ended question, who do we think of as our principal enemy? Right? They probably even asked Romney at one point. Right? They got the Russia answer, but, but not from anybody else. When, when Obama came in, we sent over as ambassador to Russia Mike McFaul, guy I know very well, very capable guy, former Stanford prof, absolutely pro-democracy, pro-opposition. First day he goes over to Moscow, what does he do? He meets with the opposition. Clearly a red rag to a bull, right? I mean, this is the, we never would have done that with China. We never would have sent over someone that would offend them that much. Why not? Because we care about China. Because China matters. It's big. I mean, there is a major power out there that doesn't agree with us on things. It's called China, right? We don't, we, Hillary Clinton said, you don't preach human rights to your banker. That's what Hillary said, <laughs> right? Hillary just compared Putin to the Fuhrer. 
Why? Because she can, because Russia doesn't matter as much to us. That's the way we perceive it, right? And perception is a part of reality okay, let's, here, too. Let me stop you there, because that's a really interesting point I want to bring back to Robert Blackwell, or Peter Hitchens, if you want to jump in on it as well, that, in fact, Russia is a marginal power with the evidence being the way that we all treat it. Well, and, they, and, and there's a logic to that. It's, well, it's, it's, there may be a logic. It's mistaken if there's such a logic. The American president, the British prime minister, the German chancellor, the Italian prime minister spent hours on the phone with Putin trying to persuade him to change Russian policy toward Ukraine and the Crimea. You don't do that. Don't do that with a marginal power. They do it with a country they know is going to be crucial in the future of an important country that has 40 million people is geopolitically in a crucial place on the hinge between Western, Eastern Europe and out to Eurasia and so forth. You've just come, to, come up with a term that I think helps steer this debate because you, you're, the two of you, neither of you want to argue that Russia is a great power, but you just use the word crucial. So I want to take that back to Edward Lucas and the definition that was just given by your opponent about Russia being a crucial power uh, geographically and in time and place, Edward Lucas. Well, Russia's clearly a crucial power if you are living in Crimea right now and if you're worried about the security of Ukraine. But Russia's not a crucial power on all the stuff that we would be doing if Russia wasn't being such a nuisance. And I think this exemplifies what Putin does. He craves attention. He longs to be able to say I'm, to the Russian people, I'm standing toe-to-toe with the United States. All these foreign leaders are calling me. I'm really important. And it's, it's, it's almost the behavior of a sort of disturbed adolescent who's just sort of, you know, locking himself in the bedroom because he loves hearing the grown-ups pounding on the door and saying, don't play with those matches. And what have you done with the kitchen knife? Um, <laughs> It's kind of de- it's, it's deranged, delusional behavior from someone who doesn't understand that Peter the world Hitchens, has changed. Peter Hitchens is absolutely... Atta- so just a moment. These are tactical triumphs. They're strategic blunders. He's marginalizing Russia and leaving it out of the mainstream on the margins of everything that actually matters in the world. Peter Hitchens. Oh, I think that's just childish. I mean, you, can, you can look around the, the world. The, 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 this, it's amazing the, the bad press that Putin gets. It's entirely deserved. There's selective criticism and there's genuine criticism. If people are criticized for things which other people are doing by people who then don't criticize the other people, that's not the reason for the criticism. There is a man called uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan uh, who is in charge of Turkey, who locks up journalists in large numbers, who stages show trials for his political opponents, whose country and government is fantastically, spectacularly corrupt. He is our ally and friend, praised weakly. Uh, in, in, in The Economist magazine. This is a dis- disgraceful person, but not a word of criticism from The Economist and the globalizers of him because he's in favor of globalization. I think, I think Ian, he- Bremer, Ian Bremer, now, now your, your partner has said that the Ukrainians at this moment would find the Russians crucial. The Syrians at times have found the Russians crucial. The Iranians at times have found the Russians crucial. And my question is, how many crucial situations does it take before a nation overall becomes crucial? Look, I mean, there's no question that the Central African Republic finds Mali crucial right now. That doesn't make me say that Mali is a great power, a major power, or something we spend a lot of time on. I think the point that Edward made, that Putin... Putin, I do think, I think, as an individual, there is no single one person who is more powerful today than Putin. I really believe that. He's got an enormous amount of money. He has no checks and balances on his decision-making domestically at all. That is at the expense of Russian power. Robert Blackwell. Well, I just uh, reinforce what Ian has just said, uh, and I close by saying again, this is not a debate about the European Union. It's not a debate about China. 
It's a debate about whether Russia is marginal. I hope when you vote, you'll be uh, voting on that. Uh, We could also vote on the early movies of Steven Spielberg, but I'd like to stick to the subject at hand if we possibly could. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Stay with us. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. We have four panelists arguing this motion. Putin's Russia is a marginal power. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to some questions. Sir. Hi, uh, John D'Agostino, to the gentleman uh, against the motion. It it seems like a a lot of time was spent uh, defining what is a power as the ability to disrupt. So be it through nuclear proliferation and nuclear weaponry, or uh, you didn't mention this, but the stranglehold on European natural gas pipelines. If we define a power as the ability to disrupt, if we expand to that definition, then aren't we opening the door for any rogue state to make themselves a power, a non-marginal power, just by being disruptive? Great question. Uh, Robert Blackwell. Um, I like the definition. It also, if you'd had more time, would, would have included the positive things a nation can do in the international system. But I think you put your finger on exactly the kernel here, which is the impact Russian external policies and behavior have on the international system and on the United States. So in other words, you're saying that in terms of the, the plus column that things can do to establish themselves as real powers, the, the Russians aren't doing that well, which well, is very much what your opponent's argument is. No, it isn't. What, no, no I, I don't think it is what my opponents argue. My opponents argue rather that it has very little impact on the international system, and that's it's marginal. And I'm saying quite the opposite, which is countries have choices, and Russia has choices. And sadly, they've made one choice regarding the Crimea, one choice regarding Syria. We'll see what they do with Iran. But they could make another choice, and it is exactly their capacity to impact the international system in the United States, which supports our opposition to this motion. Edward Lucas. Just two very quick points. First of all, I think I... It's easy to have a negative impact in the world. You can do negative things very quickly. You kill all your own people, pollute the environment, do horrible things. What we're arguing is that Russia doesn't make a positive impact, and that's the sign of a country that matters. It's not the ability to be a nuisance. I also just want to pick up what the the speaker said about um, European natural gas. It's absolutely true. Russia used to be an energy superpower, and because of the appalling way in which they've treated their customers. They're now seen as an expensive and unreliable supplier of gas, and people are making alternative arrangements. We can get gas as liquefied natural gas from all over the place. We're going to develop our own shale. We've got gas coming from Algeria and from Norway and everywhere else. And Russia's share of the European natural gas market is falling and falling and falling. It's their fault. Peter Hitchens. Can can I take issue with this word positive? It just means what Edward likes. Quite a lot of us, for instance, think that the Arab Spring was not a wild success. Many of us think that, that turning Libya into a failed state with no government was not a particularly clever thing to do, uh, and the destabilization of the Syrian regime has reduced millions of people to abject misery, which was completely unnecessary. By standing against these things, or indeed by standing against the idea of carpeting the world with useless windmills or forcing advanced countries to, to, to tax their energy industries out of existence in the environmental cause, some of us think these things are not very clever either. So it's rather a good thing that there is an alternative source of, uh, how should we say, wisdom in the world from the one which produces those brilliant ideas. 
Let me, let me put to the, to, the, to the side arguing against the motion. Your, your opponents have just pointed out that if being a, an energy superpower is a sign of crucialness, of being a player, that the trend for Russia is slowly to be fading away now, that we're already in that trend and they see it keep continuing to go. And I'd like you to respond to it, whether that's a marker of Russia's standing in the world. Over the long term, yes, I agree with him that over the long term, the combination of the mismanagement of its energy sector and the U.S. energy revolution that's underway, the shale revolution, will reduce the Russian capacity to use energy as an instrument of its national purposes, especially against Western Europe. But that's 10 years down the way. I just say one other thing, which is this peculiar definition that, and I take notes, countries that matter are ones that pursue positive policies. What? (laughs) That's the strategic rationale of Mary Poppins. I think that's rather unfair to Mary Poppins, actually. Ed Lucas. I just want to defend Mary Poppins for a moment. One of the wisest things she said is a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, and that's very, very useful in diplomacy. If you want to get things done in the world, it helps to be nice to other countries and get them to do the things that you want and make them feel good about it, and Russia is amazingly bad at doing it. Russia keeps on setting up very grandiose international organisations, organisation of gas exporting countries, which is meant to be kind of gas OPEC, didn't work. Shanghai Cooperation Organisation, didn't work. Eurasian Economic Union, not working very well. All the countries that Russia tries to bring on its side, the closer they get to Russia, the less they like what they see, and the further away they move from Russia, with the result that all Russia's neighbours are rather scared of Russia. Whatever Russia wants to do, they don't like it, because they know what Russia's like. Instead, they're flocking to try and join NATO, and some of them have even been allowed in. Peter Hitchens, would you like to respond to the point just made? Well, yes, this, this business about, about, about Russia overawing and overpowering other countries. Again, this is, it's really crucial to understand that in 1918, after Ludendorff had financed Lenin and the Bolsheviks to mount a coup d'etat against the, against the then Russian imperial government, uh, Germany imposed on Russia frontiers Uh, which were regarded by Russia as utterly humiliating, so humiliating that even Trotsky, one of the Bolsheviks, walked out of the Brest-Litov talks rather than accept them and was forced to go back in. It's interesting that exactly the same borders imposed on Russia in 1918 by the German Kaiser have now been imposed on Russia again by NATO and the European Union. They didn't last then. They won't last now. There are existential facts about countries. If, as I say, if, 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 if somebody took back from the United States, the, the, the countries which it captured in the War of 1848, which is a good deal more recent than the absorption of Ukraine to Russia, there would not be very long before there was a move to take them back and a strong feeling that they did not belong in whatever organization they found themselves in. Just remember that. Russia is a country. It's not an idea. Ian Bremmer. I'll just add very quickly, which is that the, the, the fact that the Americans have pushed the Russians as hard as they have on Ukraine, which was critical to them, had been theirs, and which the West is going to win most of, right? The outcome is going to be worse. After all of this, the outcome is going to be worse for Russia. But that's not good enough for us. We instead have to also stick their noses in it. And as a consequence, the Russians are going to get more antsy and uppity, and and I don't blame them. But that doesn't mean that they're not a marginal power. That just means that we can't help ourselves, Because we're always right about this stuff, right? I'm sympathetic to what Peter's saying. I just don't think it sways the way you should vote on this thing. If you can stand up, a mic is coming from the left-hand side. 
Dan Spira, for the group arguing in favor of the motion, could you describe uh, which countries other than the United States and China that you would consider a non-marginal power and why in comparison to Russia? Very quick list. I'd say Ed Lucas. most of the countries in the G20, um, but I would also say that the, 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 even small countries can play a really important role. I'd say Estonia, which is like one million people, is a cyber power. It's a, it does really interesting stuff on e-government and on cyber warfare. Ed, are you, wait, Ed are, are you saying that Russia is more marginal than Estonia? No, I'm just saying... I was, no, <laughs> no I, was just, I was just asked for a country... We rest that, our case. I was asked for a country that, that is not a marginal power. I right, think so countries, you're saying, you're... countries earn their prestige, and it's not a binary thing. There's just one dimension. There's all sorts of dimensions in which countries matter, and I, I, I think you can find plenty of examples of small countries and also supranational institutions. I'd say the EU matters. Does the sign want to respond? If not, that concludes round two. <laughs> With a shake of the head, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our motion is Russia is a marginal power. And remember how you voted before the debate. Immediately after closing statements, we're going to have you vote a second time. And that is how we will choose our winner. The team whose numbers have moved the most will be declared our winner. But first, round three, closing statements. The motion is Russia is a marginal power. And here to summarize his position in support of this motion, Edward Lucas, senior editor at The Economist. We've talked a lot um, so far this evening about, about hard power, about diplomacy, about military, and about e- economics. We haven't really talked about soft power. And that's the way in which a country projects an idea, a way of doing things that other people want to copy. And there's a very interesting test here. Go and stand outside the American consulate in Moscow and count the number of people wanting to emigrate to the United States. It's a long, long line. Now go down to the Russian consulate in New York and try and find the people wanting to emigrate to Russia because it's so great there. That's a very good index of soft power. Look at the media. Look at Russia Today. Russia Today is a wonderful window into the mindset of the people who run Russia. They put tens, hundreds of billions, a million, sorry, of dollars into, into, into Russia Today as a way of trying to undermine the West and promote the Russian the, the Russian view of the world. And look at the people who appear on Russia today. It's a bunch of cranks and kooks and nutjobs. 9-11 truthers, one of their top presenters is a 9-11 truther. They interview people who don't believe the moon landings happened, people who don't think the Holocaust happened. A whole range of eccentric, sometimes very interesting, sometimes unintentionally quite entertaining views. But one thing it has in common, they're all marginal. Thank you, Andrew Lucas. And that is our motion. Russia is a marginal power. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Peter Hitchens, columnist and reporter for the London's Mail on Sunday. Why do the other side so want you to believe the laughable proposition which they're struggling so hard to defend? It's quite simple because of the way Russia understands something which we have wholly forgotten. In 1648, the the nations of Europe uh, looked at their continent... And they saw that it looked pretty much like a Hieronymus Bosch painting. Nothing but desolation, ruins, and corpses stretching for hundreds of miles in every direction. The population had actually fallen. The reason? Because they decided that it would be a really, really clever idea to intervene in other people's countries because they didn't like the way they were governed. And they resolved that they would not do that anymore. And until a few years ago, when the disgraceful person who became Prime Minister of my country, Tony Blair, became prominent, this was a generally accepted view in all countries, that we wouldn't do this anymore, because that led to misery, murder, and death. And Russia stands 
Actually, for the principles of 1648, it still continues to insist that countries should be left to mind their own business. Stay out of ours, we'll stay out of yours. Except Ukraine. That, no, wait a minute, I didn't heckle you, don't you heckle me. This is, this, is, this is a straightforward, simple question. The reason they want to marginalize Russia is because they have forgotten one of the most important lessons ever learned by civilization. They want you to forget it too. We've seen in Syria... The results of this folly, we see them in Libya and we see them in Iraq. It really is time it stopped. The attack on Russia is actually an attack on something else entirely. That's why you should oppose this very foolish, very wrong-headed, and frankly, rather hopeless motion. Thank you, Peter Hitchens. And to restate this motion, it is Russia is a marginal power. And here to summarize his position in support of the motion, Ian Bremmer, founder and president of Eurasia Group. So if the motion were is Russia, or Russia is a marginal power in the 17th century, I would vote with Peter's side. Because no one else has addressed that issue but him. (laughs) That is not what we are talking about tonight. We're talking about whether or not Russia is today. Now look, no one really has defined power well either, so let me try to do it. Power is the ability to get other actors to do things they otherwise would not. And there's two ways to do it. You can do it coercively or you you can do it cooperatively. Militarily, economically, right? Socially, demographically, culturally. If we were only talking about military and particularly nuclear weapons, Russia would probably have major power status and superpower status. But on every other indicator, they wouldn't. And, And if I add them all up, what other countries deserve that when you put all the indicators together? Japan, Germany... The United States, China, I mean, frankly, I know Peter's going to hate this, even the UK does better than the Russians do. That's appalling how much the Russians have fallen (laughs) over the last 20 years. And even on the military side, the United States still spends more than the next 10 countries pretty much combined, which is probably too much, and it probably needs to be cut back a bit. And sure, at the margins will be some things that the United States can't do that other countries, as a consequence, can make some hay, yes. But who's going to make that hay? Overwhelmingly, it's going to be the Chinese, primarily in Asia and in other places. And yet still, we're the only one with a blue water global navy. And so if you want to get energy out of the Middle East, even though we won't need it anymore, everyone else will have to turn to the United States. So no, I'm not really concerned about that. If the only thing you want to vote on is can they blow us up from a nuclear perspective, please vote with them. If anything else matters to you, please vote with us. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ian Bremmer. The motion, Russia is a marginal power, and here to summarize his position against the motion, Robert Blackwell, former Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Planning under President George W. Bush. I agree with Ian that uh, it would be wrong to define uh, Russia and its influence in the world solely through military means or nuclear weapons. I couldn't agree more. So let's talk about diplomacy. And in two regards, first, Iran. I think we all know what uh, danger Iran and its nuclear weapons program poses for Israel, for the United States, indeed for the international system. The five members of the Security Council are negotiating with Iran, including Russia, to seek to have a peaceful solution to that. That is only possible with Russian agreement. And if we don't have a peaceful solution, the American president will be confronted with a terrible binary choice. Either attack Iran 
with its with devastating consequences or allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon with devastating consequences. And it is Russia that will decide whether we can have a peaceful solution to the Iranian nuclear program. And then Syria. Uh, We've had some fun tonight, and we should in this kind of debate. But I want to end with uh, deep seriousness. Russia is preventing sanctions against Syria, which would have some hope of uh, releasing, reducing Syria's Uh, the Syrian regime's brutal attack on its own people. In that context, the Save the Children Fund uh, this week uh, uh, argues that at least 1.2 million Syrian children have fled to neighboring countries. 4.3 million Syrian children need humanitarian assistance, and more than 10,000 Syrian children have died in that civil war. Uh, in, a, uh, in a situation in which Russia supports the Assad regime. Robert Blackwell, I'm sorry, your time those is up. children believe Russia is a marginal country. Thank you, Robert Blackwell. And that concludes our closing statements. First of all, I want to point out that a number of the debaters on the stage, including Ian Bremmer, uh, were about uh, 30 to 48 hours ago on the other side of the world, and they got off planes and flew over here, and they must have been exhausted, but they brought great strength and energy, and also, I think, decency and a quality of respect to these debates that we aspire to. You did a great job, all of you. I want to thank you for all of that. All right, so it's all in now. I've been given the results. Remember the team that has moved your numbers the most after a preliminary vote and then a vote after hearing the debates will be declared our winner. Here is how it went. The motion, Russia is a marginal power, before the debate, 25% of you agreed with the motion, 43% were against, 32% were undecided. So those are the first results. Remember, you voted a second time. The winner is the team whose numbers have changed the most in percentage point terms. Here is the second vote on Russia is a marginal power. The team arguing for the motion, their second vote is 35%. From 25 to 35%, that's a 10% gain. 10% is the number to beat. The team now arguing against the motion. Their first vote was 43%. Their second vote was 58%. They pulled over 15 percentage points. The team arguing against the motion that Russia is a marginal power has won. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. To hear the full, unedited version or to sign up for the Intelligence Squared podcast, visit npr.org forward slash Intelligence Squared. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.